Hi, I'm Trevor, and welcome to Catching Up on Cinema. If you aren't familiar with the program, Catching Up on Cinema is a film analysis podcast wherein we introduce each other to films, expand our cinematic horizons, and, in essence, catch up on our cinema. So, it is the month of April 2022, and uh, this month is going to be something we'd like to call The Awful Aughts. Uh, essentially, what we're going to be doing from week to week is exploring the awful decade of the 2000s, uh, specifically the awful films that have came out of that decade. Um, and as you may have noticed, it's uh, it's just you and me today. However, uh, it was not intended to be that. Uh, it's been a long time since I've had to do one of these, but you know, uh, if you do a podcast, uh, a weekly podcast, sometimes more than weekly podcast for long enough, uh, you run into a little thing called technical difficulties. Uh, and that's what uh, that's what results in me being the only voice you're hearing right now. Is, uh, I had a, a corrupt file situation co- uh, crop up uh, very shortly after finishing uh, a decent conversation with Kyle about this week's movie. But uh, unfortunately, uh, my end of the audio, so Kyle is not to blame for this, my end of the audio uh, went kaput. Uh, so here I am, uh, talking to myself, uh, in my apartment. Uh, I'm seething with rage right now. I'll, I'm, I'm hoping it doesn't come through in my performance on the mic, but, um, anyway, uh, as I said, um, well, I don't know if I said at this point, but this, this month we're going to be exploring the awful odds. Uh, so that would be, uh, some of the awful movies that came out of the 2000s. And my hope is that, uh, from week to week, um, we'll be able to explore, like a like a little bit of a trend um, that that ran through that decade, uh, so I may as well just spoil I'll I'll spoil things right up front, uh, being as I don't have a whole lot to say about the movie I'm going to be talking about here. But um, today's review was intended to be a review of a uh, Book of Shadows: colon, uh, Blair Witch Two from the year 2000, uh, directed by Joe Berlinger. Um, so that would be kind of like a an example of like the the high gloss uh, kind of like um, new metal horror that that kind of ran rampant through the two thousands. Uh, so we'll, we were going to start with horror, um, and then next week I have the pick, and uh, I'm going to be subjecting Kyle to Torque, um, which is a two thousands era action film, uh, very much in the same vein as the 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 Fast and the Furious. Um, although far, far worse probably than any of those movies, although very high uh, on the entertainment level scale, uh, just in terms of how ludicrous it gets with some of its visuals and its ideas. But um, we're hoping to cover uh, Uva Bull's uh, Blood Rain, uh, which would uh, dip us into the, the trend of video game movies, which uh, that entire subgenre of film was birthed in the 90s via uh, the Super Mario Brothers movie. Um, but it kind of, <laughs> it didn't mature, but it evolved in the 2000s, and we started to see quite a few more uh, video game adaptations uh, in, in a more, uh, play a more prominent role in the, in the film landscape uh, than they did in the 90s. Um, I'm hoping to also get a review of uh, Frank Miller's The Spirit in there, uh, because comic book movies, uh, in fact, the MCU uh, were born. Uh, in the 2000s. Of course, we had comic book movies dating way back to the age of the serials, uh, but in terms of like Hollywood landscape, I guess you would think of like uh, 
Superman the motion picture as probably being the the progenitor of that particular subgenre. But um, the MCU was indeed born uh, in the 2000s in 2008 with uh, John Favreau's Iron Man. But uh, I think it was 2009 that Frank Miller was given the the director's seat for the Spirit, which uh, I have long uh, regarded as the worst film I have ever seen in a theater. Which uh, it is worth noting, I don't actually see that many films in the theater, uh, so it's probably not as bad as you might expect. But to date, it probably is, I want to say, the worst film I've ever seen in the theater. And uh, if my good buddy uh, is listening, uh, he knows who he is. Um, <laughs> he knows that he's responsible for having uh, forced me to go see that with him. Uh, I'll never forget one of our mutual friends uh, was just like staring daggers into his soul, uh, probably by the 10 minute mark uh, sitting in the darkened theater. Um, yeah, the spirit is utter crap. But yeah, uh, this event month uh, is going to take us all the way through April. And as I said, we're referring to it as the awful odds, but I'm not going to do a front to back uh, review of the movie in question. I'm too damn tired and pissed off uh, to, to retrace my steps for this, frankly, not very good film. But as I said, uh, Kyle had the pick and the film uh, that we had reviewed only a few hours ago together uh, was Book of Shadows, colon, Blair Witch 2, uh, from the year 2000 on the nose, uh, directed by Joe Berlinger, who, uh, upon closer inspection, uh, I looked into his filmography a little bit, um, it largely seems like his filmography consists of uh, documentaries for the most part. Uh, he does have features under his belt, although uh, he would stray almost entirely away uh, from directing features in favor of purely doing documentaries for many, many years. In fact, um, 2019, uh, Extremely Wicked, Shockingly Evil and Vile, the, uh, the Zac Efron headlined uh, Ted Bundy uh, feature, which um, apparently had a, a docu docu series uh, also uh, created by Berlinger. Uh, that was like his his next feature after this one, so almost twenty years away from the format. But uh, he's a highly accomplished uh, documentarian. Um, Kyle had pointed out that uh, he directed a Metallica, some kind of monster, which uh, Kyle has an interest in the uh, the eighties era of that band's uh, musical offerings. So um, he said he might actually be wanting to check that one out. But uh, highly accomplished documentarian. Um, I was joking that uh, I, I've often thought about like where um, this trend of true crime media has has sprung from. Like like where where is this all coming from? Because we're just inundated with it these days. Um, and I I was joking that it may very well have come from. It may have been fostered. Uh, the current media climate may have been fostered by Joe Berlinger because, uh, good God, this man's credits are endless. Um, but in terms of uh, other talent involved in the production of, of this uh, ill-fated sequel, um, our cast consists of, I'm going to name everybody because it's a very small cast. Uh, we have Kim Director, Jeffrey Donovan, Erica Learson, uh, Tristan Schuyler, and Stephen Barker-Turner. Um, there, and there's a couple of other extras, um, but for the most part, that is our principal cast. Uh, I will say I did not really recognize anyone in the cast, um, except for, with the exception of Jeffrey Donovan, 
Um, Kyle and I both uh, lovingly refer to him as Burn Notice uh, throughout our entire discussion because uh, very similar to uh, that, I think his first name is Cam or something. Uh, the the fellow from Pandorum that we were referring to is never back down. Uh, whenever I see Jeffrey Donovan, I just I haven't even seen the show Burn Notice, but I've seen tons of marketing for it, and just I see that mug, I think Burn Notice. So. Um, we very liberally referred to him not as Jeff, but as Burn Notice. But uh, as far as I could tell, like digging through everybody's filmographies, um, for the most part, our our actors, our cast of players, consist of uh, TV actors, um, very accomplished uh, TV actors. Jeffrey Donovan has had some decent success in film as well. Uh, Kim Director did have uh, a pretty pretty good start to her career i don't i, I want to say she mostly like headed to television herself but uh, she has a couple of spike lee movies early in her filmography so she she was off to a good start i don't know exactly how well it panned out but um most of our actors are television actors um but another uh, talent worth noting that uh, I, we actually didn't bring up uh, during the the discussion between kyle and i was a uh, carter burwell uh, who is probably best known or most associated with uh, the Coen brothers. Uh, he's he's scored so many of their films, and he is a phenomenal uh, film score composer. Um, it was kind of a shock to see his name associated with this. Um, and uh, I will give him credit. Uh, his compositions for this film, while uh, kind of downplayed for the most part like whenever whenever you get a good sample of his music it's actually quite good stuff on display so not not a bad score um and in fact the soundtrack for this movie was something that i was picking kyle's brain about a lot uh, because it is most certainly a, a big element of the film uh, i mean we have uh marilyn manson who we like all know is not a good person but uh, we do actually have a, a couple of good musical offerings from Marilyn Manson um, we have an interesting track that Kyle had said came from a, a concept album uh, compiled by Tony Iommi of a uh, Black Sabbath fame uh, we have it's called a goodbye lament is the track where it's a uh, him and Dave Grohl uh, doing a collaboration apparently it's from an album that uh, Kyle had at some point on CD and he's actually uh, looking for these days but um, we also have a very good Queens of the Stone Age track a feel-good hit of the summer that uh, is used quite well in the film actually and of course Rob Zombie Dragula I mean it's kind of expected that it would be in there um, but yeah this is very much an MTV era uh, or MTV style uh, horror film it's not particularly scary it has a it has a, a wannabe kind of grungy new metal vibe to it but it sadly it lacks some texture it, it it it's playing the music but it's not really the the vibe and the the texture of the film doesn't isn't quite consistent with that if that makes sense um but anyway just to explain some of the background of this one um it is of course a uh, kind of a sequel <laughs> to to the blair witch which is a film that uh the blair witch project uh was a phenomenon uh in fact i i i need to take I need to take responsibility and, and recognize that I I don't give enough credit uh, to the Blair Witch Project. Um, I often forget just how big of a deal it was. I, I was around for the marketing. I, I was, what, 12, 13 when that came out. Uh, so I, I most certainly remember the hype train behind it. I remember all the playground chatter about it. 
but I only saw it the one time and for whatever reason, despite, you know, my lifelong interest in film, uh, it's never been particularly special to me personally. Um, however, that's something that I'm, I'm thinking I need to reconsider because in retrospect, it's like, holy shit, that, that was a very well put together piece of media. In fact, um, just in terms of the way it was, the way it was shot and, and, and assembled, um, I've, I've heard so many stories about how uh, the actors largely improvised their scenes and they were literally camping in the woods and like the, the crew would like harass them through the night to to rile them them up and unsettle them for the for the next day's shooting um and then i i if i if memory serves i think the way they conducted a lot of scenes was they would uh the the uh, director and crew would leave notes uh for each of the actors um regarding like uh intention um like basically where where the scene needs to go or what their motivation is supposed to be uh while they're shooting um but it wasn't communicated between all the different actors so basically you had different actors being handed different agendas and they would have to improvise a scene together and then uh, they would take it back to the editing room and make movie magic out of it. It's a it's an incredibly unique way of shooting a film, uh, let alone a, editing and assembling a film, um, which resulted in a lot of the sense of reality you got from it, which is totally tossed out the window for this movie. But what's fascinating about this movie, uh, Book of Shadows, colon, Blair Witch 2, is that it was it was rushed. It was a rush job because the studio was all too aware of how much of a cultural phenomenon the Blair Witch Project was. It absolutely cleaned up at the box office. Its return on investment was unbelievable. So from a studio standpoint, from a financial standpoint, it only made sense to to rush out a sequel, um, which was further reinforced by the fact that, you know, generally like horror is is thought of as a genre where that's that's almost expected where it's like endless sequels are just a thing that you get with with horror pictures it's it's not it's not frowned upon like it would be with some other genres but um this project was completely rushed uh, it was largely ill-conceived but what's fascinating is that it's not it's not a good film it's it's not particularly well put together um but it does actually have some interesting ideas that it's playing with it just completely and utterly fails to execute on any of them and what i'm getting at here is that the the narrative of this film actually is kind of like a a movie within a movie if that makes any sort of sense so it takes place in a reality it takes place in quote our reality as in the blair witch project is a film that exists in in the universe of Book of Shadows colon Blair Witch 2. By the way, book of there is no Book of Shadows in the film. Uh, it, it's I don't know where that title came from exactly, um, but it's it's utterly obnoxious that, that we have the title structured that way with Book of Shadows colon Blair Witch 2. But yeah, this this movie exists in a universe where the the characters have seen and experienced the Blair Witch Project in the same way that we the audience have uh if 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 you're able to follow that but um that's a very interesting concept and apparently the 
director who is also credited as a co-writer, Joe Berlinger, um, he was interested in exploring ideas of, of mass hysteria and how, I don't know, per- perception and reality can be fragile uh, given the given the right external pressures. Um, and Kyle and I were joking about how you, you haven't seen nothing, Joe Berlinger. Wait till you get to 2022 and you see how, the, how crazy this shit gets. Um, but in terms of execution, it, it's, it's just not there. Um, it's, it's, I describe the movie as aggressively dull at times. And what's more, so much of the movie hinges on, on a mystery that has zero, it has so very little logic backing it where in terms of structuring a story based around a mystery, it's your job as the storyteller to provide breadcrumbs and provide a sense of logic and direction that will inspire and encourage your audience to follow follow and guess along with you. But if you deny them that, then it, then it calls into question, like, why am I bothering? Like, if, if you keep teasing me with a mystery, but you don't give me the tools to chip away at it on my own, independent of the, the characters in the film, then then I'm just frustrated. I'm not having fun because you're, you're not empowering me to play along basically. Um, and that's kind of what we get is we get a lot of, we get a whole menagerie of characters who are losing her on all unreliable on some level in terms of their perspective and their sense of reality. But the, the film is very, very sloppy in the way it's constructed um, to the point that, very little is made clear until it's made explicitly clear to the point that it's, it's just kind of like it's not it doesn't feel like a reveal it just kind of feels like why 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 couldn't we have teased that out smoother i guess um but it does need to be said um the movie does have like it's it is readily apparent that um the film was i guess quote uh tampered with in a post-production uh, if if you do any amount of research on the film, you'll, it's readily available. That, um, as I said, this was a studio rush job. Um, they were they were adamant about getting this thing out uh, on a low budget and quick, um, and it had to have the Blair Witch name. And apparently, Joe Berlinger, who again, as I said, had a uh, he has a co writing credit on this one. Uh, as I said, he had some interesting ideas. And in fact, he did kind of like a Steven Spielberg uh, Jaws kind of thing. Like he, he flexed some of his uh, documentarian muscles um, early in the production. And what I'm getting at with the, the Jaws connection is that um, previous episode of Catching Up on Cinema, by the way, uh, The Shark is Still Working, the documentary about um, the cultural impact and the, the making of Jaws. Um, the the way Jaws was shot famously was uh, basically Steven Spielberg and his crew kind of just lived in Martha's Vineyard uh, for a very long time and just hung out with the citizens, just hung out with the townsfolk and compiled footage um, and, in fact, just used a lot of non-actors in the film. Uh, the, uh, the 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 um, the woman who's, uh, the, I think, is it Kittner? Kittner mother? I think it's the Kittner boy who gets eaten. Uh, she was like a school teacher, and then uh, um, Robert Shaw spent a lot of his days hanging out with a local fisherman who he basically completely based his character off of, who is in the film. Uh, he's I forget the name of the, Ben Gardner, I think is the name of the character. Who uh, 
he's the one that uh they find his his uh one-eyed corpse in the in the boat in the middle of the night um basically what i'm getting at is uh joe berlinger uh went out to burkittsville maryland where the the blair the blair witch takes place and this this film was basically entirely shot in uh in maryland not necessarily in burkittsville but in that state and uh he had the opening chunk of this movie is actually just documentary footage uh of actual citizens of burkittsville um being interviewed about the uh the cultural impact uh of of the Blair Witch Project and how people were flocking there and it became kind of like a, a tourist scene, kind of like a Forks, Washington, uh, to talk about my home state, uh, and uh, the Twilight novels and, and films. How it kind of became like a, a tourist location because of because of the impact of, of the of the media franchise associated with it. Um, I kind of wish there was more of that documentary stuff because it's only in like the first ten minutes of the film or so, but uh, we you know is what it is but um the the studio tampering comes in the form of uh apparently they wanted to jazz up the edit of the film somehow um apparently additional violence was requested none of which is very good um it's it's very cheap looking for the most part um and also there's a several police interrogation sequences that are intended to be the finale of the film like the big reveal of the mystery um but as as the film exists um and and as far as i understand will continue to exist there has like a director's cut has been rumored occasionally but i seriously doubt that'll ever happen um as the as the film exists um that interrogation sequence and all of the additional scenes of violence are just kind of like haphazardly thrown into the edit of the film like it i refer to those sequences as intrusions because they're distracting they're jarring uh sometimes they're borderline incomprehensible especially given how spread out a lot of those clips are um and it just comes across as weird honestly like like for lack of a better term it just comes across as odd like very poorly coordinated very poorly executed to the point that um i don't know who made that call but they they really they really shouldn't they should not have done that because um in my head like picturing those interrogation sequences and maybe even some of the additional violence like stitching that together and editing in a slightly more conventional manner like that is not teasing it out throughout the entirety of the film but just like devoting an entire scene to to exposing those moments seems seems like it would be tidier in my mind like i feel like it would be more satisfying however i don't know that it would have saved the film by any means because i will give credit to the performers um nobody nobody gives a poor show, showing in terms of uh, their acting performances in fact i i quite liked jeffrey donovan aka uh burn notice I, I thought he was a fairly capable actor um but the script is just it's rough like like none of the characters are likable for the most part and as i said the the logic of the storytelling is is the real problem because i get what we're doing here we're really trying to demonstrate that our characters are delusional they're suffering from like a, a group delusion of some sort um but it, it's handled so sloppily that it 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 doesn't have you scratching your head in the fun way i guess is what i'm i'm driving at here but 
Um, I realize I didn't even give a plot summary for this one, but frankly, I, I don't feel the need to, to go back to it. I will say that uh, I, I checked the credits about this because I was curious. There is an animatronic owl in this film uh, that makes a number of appearances in the film. They really got their mileage. Like, they got the most out of this animatronic owl because, frankly, it looks like boiled crap. Um, <laughs> but... Um, for some reason, this owl just keeps showing up in the film. Like I, I want to say it has minimum three different appearances in the film. Uh, it appears when uh, the when Kim Director's character, the goth gal, is uh, falling asleep to the cocaine song. Um, and it flies through a window at one point, at which point everybody looks down on it while it's like dying or you know laying on the floor concussed. And it just has the saddest fucking expression. <laughs> And then if memory serves, oh, I don't even think I brought this up when I was talking to Kyle because we were so fucking burned out by the time we got to this part of the movie. You have no idea what, like how, how ugly that conversation uh, got. And you never will know because I my audio's toast, but I'm trying not to be bitter. Sorry. Um, there, there's a bit uh, also involving uh, Kim Director, the uh, our resident goth gal, um, where uh, Burn Notice walks into the room and... Um, He's, he has a a delusion, he has a, a a hallucination of her eating the owl <laughs> like like he would eat like a chicken wing um and then he like blinks and shakes his head and it turns out she is eating like KFC out of a bucket not not the owl but it's the it's the exact same animatronic owl and we we managed to use it three different times in the movie I was like damn like <laughs> you, somebody had affection for that owl. <laughs> Um, but apparently that owl is as, as raggedy as it looks because it is not a good animatronic owl uh it uh apparently was designed by knb uh who if you do any amount of googling uh, you'll find that they're they have a reputation as you know some of the foremost like animatronics and and prosthetics uh for like horror and and action cinema so good pe- they had top people working on it but didn't didn't exactly work out uh, i i got a chuckle out of that at the very least but it is what it is but um yeah i i wish i had more to say about this one but um as i said just a little bitter that my audio uh ended up getting trashed uh i had i had fun talking to kyle about this one especially picking his brain about the music because he kind of lit up uh during that part when i brought up the soundtrack by the way, uh, we do have a, a cameo from uh, Kurt Loder, uh, which um, if you were watching MTV at a certain point in time, you'll absolutely know who that is. Uh, that that was that was a fun little bit of nostalgia. Uh, MTV News, kids, look it up. Um, but it was a lot of fun uh, picking Kyle's brain about the music because uh, he's he's very much into music. He is a musician himself. But he's pretty handy on guitar. Um, and uh, he had a lot to say about a lot of the bands on the soundtrack. So um, a shame that uh, I'm not able to post that part of the episode for you. Um, but yeah, this this one uh, carries a, a terrible reputation. It is it is a fitting start uh, to the awful aughts, uh, being as this movie is generally regarded as like 100% negative. I don't know of anyone having a positive uh, view of this one. Um in fact, I've seen like three out of ten or like four out of ten scores pretty much across the board for it. So um, I was always curious about this one, though. 
um, just because because of its reputation and and just its its status as a a bizarre sequel to to something that really honestly shouldn't shouldn't garner sequels because as I said just the way that the the Blair Witch Project was was assembled like the way that 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 literal project came together is so utterly unique that it's like to to do like a traditional just like studio film uh serve to to do a traditional studio film to follow that one up just feels disingenuous like it it feels it feels icky um and <laughs> it apparently didn't work out very well either although i will counter that i will counter myself and say that uh from a financial standpoint the return on investment for this film was just fine uh, i was regarded as not not anything to be proud of uh, by the studio but if you'll just look at the numbers and you'll you'll be surprised it did it did quite well um although the 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 success of the original is is very 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 hard to top especially when you consider just how cheap of a film that one was um one other thing to note though is that um i had no i i, I like i said i i often fail to acknowledge the uh the sheer impact of the Blair Witch Project, like the like how the width and breadth of its legacy, but um, it is worth noting it is like a multimedia franchise that while it's not particularly special to me, apparently it it, it continues to be special to a lot of people because we've had multiple video games of it uh, and no less than two film sequels to it. We had book of shadows colon blair witch 2 but we also had uh another film uh just simply called uh i think the blair witch or just i think it's just called blair witch um it's sometimes referred to as blair witch 3 but uh it's from 2016 and funny enough it's a uh, directed by adam wingard who most recently gave us godzilla versus kong and uh written by simon barrett uh who carries quite a good reputation in in kind of the the horror realm uh, of the film industry um and it's kind of funny because unlike book of shadows uh i actually would be very excited uh, to check this one out because while reviews for it reviews for blair witch are somewhat divisive uh, i've seen a couple of clips of it that actually looked encouraging like it, it looks like it has a look and a feel to it that could be really really neat um and on top of that uh, as I said, just from a directing and writing standpoint, there is talent behind the camera. Um, I guess you could say the same for uh, <laughs> Book of Shadows colon Blair Witch 2. Uh, however, I don't know. I, 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 I have a feeling that uh, Blair Witch might might be halfway decent. Like I could be totally wrong on that, but I actually wouldn't mind checking that one out. So may, maybe I should. Uh, at this point, I, I feel like I... I definitely need to rewatch the Blair Witch Project just because, um, truth be told, um, I haven't seen it since 1999 as far as I know. I've definitely only seen it once, and it was on a VHS tape at my parents' house, so I was probably, what, 13 at the time? Uh, so it's definitely worth reevaluating for me. Um, so may maybe... Maybe that's one good thing that I can say came out of my viewing of a uh, Book of Shadows colon Blair Witch Two is that it served as incentive for me to go back and check out the uh, superior original film. But it does need to be said, uh, I attempted to watch Book of Shadows colon Blair Witch Two like no less than two and a half times, man. 
I I watched it through once. Um, my motherfucking neighbors were were ripping into each other. They're like in a in a verbal fucking MMA match upstairs. Uh, so I was thoroughly distracted during that initial watching of it, which certainly didn't help. Um, and then uh, I tried to watch it again over the weekend and uh, <laughs> ended up playing Elden Ring. And, well, that didn't exactly work out. Elden Ring certainly won uh, in terms of my time invested that weekend. And then I tried to put it on one last time, and I just found myself just kind of tuning it out. Like, I, I think I said earlier, I, I would describe the film as aggressively dull which is kind of remarkable given how nutty some of it is. Like, there's a lot of batshit crazy stuff that happens in it, but the way it's executed, just it it, it doesn't get any sort of rise out of you. It's just like, well, that was that didn't make a lick of sense, now did it? And it, it's it's very difficult to explain. But like when you're watching it, I don't feel I feel like it's a very flat experience where you're just like it's a very passive experience which is not something you want to say about a, quote, horror film. I, I never found myself disturbed by anything in the film, unfortunately. Uh, that might be a me thing, though. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, I've probably rambled for long enough. Uh, I'm going to have to go, like, find a heavy bag to hit or something, <laughs> get get the rage a haul out of my system. Um, but yeah, uh, that, those were some of my thoughts about uh, Book of Shadows colon Blair Witch 2 from the year 2000 as directed by Joe Berlinger. Uh, so this was our uh, horror film uh, for for The Awful Ots, uh, which is our April 2022 event. Um, so look forward to uh, action, video games, and maybe comic book movies as we progress through the month. But in the meantime, uh, folks at home, if you'd like to catch up on any of our Catching Up on Cinema content, you can find all of that collected on our website at catchinguponcinema.com. Uh, you can also find us on the social medias at Catching Up on Cinema on the Instagram, as well as uh, at Catching Cinema on the Twitter. So feel free to hit me up at either of those. Uh, and the podcast is available on pretty much every platform you can imagine, including Cephalopod. So fucking Google it. And that being said, uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, we will catch you next time, hopefully with uh, someone other than just me on the mic. <laughs> Take it easy.